And welcome back to this mystical land of wondrous invention, beautiful board games, as well as exciting news that will fill your minds and cause them to bleed wondrous things. Welcome to the Level Cap Podcast Zone, or otherwise. That was pretty long. Like, like I was impressed. I was like, for half a second, I was like, is, is, is he running out of breath? Is, huh? And then you didn't. And I was like, very impressed. Your lung capacity is quite great, Brad. I used to play woodwind instruments in, uh, in grade school. Maybe that's what it is. Really? Really? Did you did you play what's a, what what's a what what's a woodwind instrument? Is a clarinet a woodwind instrument? Like, uh, yeah, clarinet, flute. I played the flute actually in uh, in grade school. Oh wow! Oh, I'm just imagining little Brad with his little flute. Oh my gosh, Marco, stop it! Oh, cute. Okay, I'm nobody, gonna stop. Nobody appreciates that. No one appreciates it. Okay, fine. No one at all. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the Level Gap Podcast, everyone. Um, I'd like you welcome. all. Hmm? I said welcome. Oh yeah, welcome. We're both welcoming you. Um, think of the Level Cap Podcast as my house with Brad, and we are inviting you, our wondrous guest, into it so that you may experience the wondrous and homey nature that we can give you. Um, some hospitality here and there, maybe a few jokes, we can have a few laughs by the fire. I feel like it's it's kind of strange that we'd buy a house just so we could invite people over. Wouldn't it be more like a hotel at that point? Uh, hmm. I mean, it's okay if it's just a hostel. It doesn't have to be a really big house. Yeah, but like, if it's a hotel, that means they have to pay, right? Like, well, yeah, they pay with their time. Ah, I see. So we are like the devil, and we we're steal like time people. vampires. Yes, yeah. exactly. We are like time vampires. We suck your time away. Hopefully, in a manner that is very pleasing to you and useful to you, so that you can enjoy for a few like minutes some board game related news, especially about level ninety nine games things or otherwise. Brad, how are you this fine, fine New Mexico morning? I thirst for time. My time. Ah. No. Uh, yeah. Um. Have you stepped into the sun? Wait. Can time vampires step into the sun? Yes. They just can't step into a um a uh, relativity wormhole because that would mess up their time and then they would die. Yeah. I so, guess. Yeah. They're they're only only vulnerable to uh to quasar rays. Actually, they're also vulnerable to another thing. I, as a time vampire, would also know. Um, yeah, because, like, I would know because this is my life, right? So Quasar Rays, that is one, indeed. The other one is uh, social media. It actually, like, eats up so much of my time. 
and oh, I just yeah. I just can't. Those, I just those can't. are the those are the high level time vampires. They make social media. So yeah, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg is a is a top tier time vampire. I can't he's believe the, he's the done patriarch it. of all time vampires. Yeah, I can't believe he's done it. He's done a way to siphon people's time legally and in a way that doesn't make people suspicious, right? Like we have to do this entire podcast and invite people into our house, right? He just yeah. makes a website. I think I think facebook is like eight different kinds of vampire but that's you know that's another conversation <laughs> for another time all right welcome to the level gap podcast everyone we have a wonderful docket for you tonight time vampires aside we have interesting things to talk about and a very special game at the end so i hope you guys stay until the very end but first things first brad i'd like to ask you what have you been doing this week this week um i have been, I've been working on stuff I'm doing a lot of Seventh Cross these days, and that's probably what I'll, I'll talk about more in the future. Is what we're what we're going with the game, um, or rather, where the game has ended up, because we're finally freezing the rule set and um, and moving towards content. Um, Ooh. Feel I feel some deja vu saying that, but this time it's really true because Laura's doing the graphic designs, and so now the cards can't change anymore. Oh, okay. So uh, you you've been in this place before. Yeah. Huh. Well, mostly mostly I've been. You know, helping everybody else to get their stuff together. You know, reviewing Noko's art, reviewing Josh's uh, setup for Battlecon Unleashed, reviewing Laura's card designs for um, for Seventh Cross. Um, you know, kind of getting everything together for these upcoming projects. So that's what I've been up to. How about yourself, Marco? What have you been doing this week? Um, don't get mad, Brad. Okay. So I found mm-hmm. a new mobile game. Um, it is. <laughs> Guess, guess what genre? Guess, guess what genre? It is. Uh, is it a? Is it a roguelike? Mm, yes, actually, it is. It is a roguelike dungeon crawling game called Buried Borns, which is a Japanese game, uh, and I can clearly tell because all the stuff that's been translated into English is like horribly Google translated. But like, it's. A very interesting game. Very, very simple. Um, I won't go too in deep with the mechanics. I think the thing I really appreciate about this game is that it it doesn't feel like a mobile game. Um, how do I explain that? Like, it feels like a real dungeon crawler game, and it was free. So, like, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's it's fine. Like, uh, it's a it's a really fun game. I think that what I really like about it is that there are I. Th- think around uh, 15 different job classes some of which are unlocked some of which are unlocked in like cool ways so like the thing about this game is that it feels like an actual rpg dungeon crawler game that they just ported onto mobile instead of it being built on the ground up on microtransactions and stuff because some of the job classes are like you know there's a special hidden event in the dungeon and you have to like encounter it a few times or like you have to do a certain decision at that event in order to unlock the job class which is pretty cool so it is it's, it's really a roguelite because you do carry things over from uh from run to run you carry the unlocks over yeah yeah, yeah. there there's like yeah. a there's like a um what do you call this a a sense of progression i think the biggest thing about this though is that you can actually um modify the classes so there's an entire like third layer on top wherein you gain this resource called fragments and you can spend it to buy like modifiers that you can then attach to specific jobs. So you can like customize the jobs at their base state, even without like items from the dungeon or anything. So like, uh-huh. yeah, if you got the, 
I don't know, like a fragment that says your basic attacks hit twice instead of once. So like you can put and that on. You, the... can, you can carry that into your next dungeon run. Yeah, or like permanently attach it to a class and buff that class literally forever. Oh, okay. That's that's kind of cool. That's a neat way to to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's um, pretty cool. I I like the game. It's uh it has literally eaten at least 10 hours of my day in the past week. So that means I've played it at least 2 hours a day. But again, it's a mobile game. This is a very interesting prospect for me because a lot of roguelikes um they really are PC games in general, right? So this this is really fun because it's like the moment I want to play a roguelike is usually when I'm like waiting on a bus or something. And I just want to do something mindless for a bit because it's a, it's a grindy game. You know, it, it doesn't take a lot of thought to yeah. play. It's, it's, it, it literally plays like Pokemon battles. You, you bring out your character, opponent's character, and you have like four or five skills. That's it. And you just like whack each other until one of you dies. So it's like... Uh-huh. Well, yeah. um, I've actually been playing something that's kind of roguelike now that you mention it. Um, oh, tell I me. decided I was recommended to try out the uh, Hearthstone dungeons, and I hadn't played since uh, Kobolds and Catacombs. So I, op- or rather, since like Angora, which was a year ago, I guess. Oh, so you tried the Kobolds and Catacombs? Dungeons. I tried the Kobolds and Catacombs, and I tried the Witchwood dungeon. And these, so in these dungeons, um, the Hearthstone dungeons, you start out with a very weak character, and then you um, you fight a monster. That's kind of a weak monster. And at the end of that fight, you get an upgrade to your deck. You get three new cards, and sometimes you get a treasure. And the treasure gives you a new permanent buff for your whole your whole uh, run. Or a so, really OP card, right? Yeah. Yeah, you get you get a treasure, then a really OP card, then a second treasure. And then um, I guess you get to the final boss. I haven't gotten past round seven yet, so I don't know what the last bonus that you get is. Maybe it's another OP card. I think it's another... But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um... So those are those have been really fun, and it's neat to see how the deck works. But when you when you lose to a monster, it wipes all your progress. You lose everything. So um, the monster has been really cool, and I really like the the custom classes for Witchwood. They give you a a pretty unique take on the you know on the way that the game is played. Who's your favorite among the custom ones? I I well, like... I've only done the first two so far. Oh, so. I like Doki though. Doki's fun. I haven't gotten to Toki. I'm doing the Cannoneer right now, and uh, I. Cannoneer is a pretty neat class. I usually play Mage, um, so being able to play a better Mage is is kind of neat. Oh yeah, because Shaw can just oh no, sorry, Cannoneer's um, what's his name? Gray. He's a he's a Worgen, but yeah, he's pretty cool. I like Doki. Doki's uh basically because Doki has shenanigans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a Doki's hero power is restart your turn. Yeah. So what does that even do? <laughs> So basically, Togi's deck is filled with, like, random effects, like arcane missiles. So when she arcane missiles and it's not the right result, she can turn back time and then play it again. So basically, she oh, gets a re-roll okay. on all of her random effects. I see. Yeah, it's hmm. pretty fun. Or, like, you know, so... so it seems so, pretty tough. All right, all right. So that pretty much does it for what we've been doing. If you guys want us to check out something or recommend a Game Club Game of the Week, please tell us in the comment section down below, and we will get to that game uh, so long as it's easily available. But next up, I'd like to talk about the thing that Brad kind of teased earlier, and welcome to the pipeline, where Brad talks about the upcoming stuff for level 99 games, or perhaps even talk about specific game design aspects. For this week, we're probably doing 7th Cross, so take it away, yeah. Brad. So I'll talk a little bit about about Seventh Cross and what we're we're doing with that. So Seventh Cross is our big uh, monster hunting adventure cooperative game. Hard full co op. Hard plays one to four players. Um, we finally locked the systems in place. We're happy with the final gameplay. 
Um, and we managed to keep a lot of the elements from the various playtests that we really enjoyed. So there's still the monster transformations, the moral choice systems, the um, you know different stats, the um, the way that monsters automate, um, the game plays. We managed to merge the like exploration side of the game together with the um, what you call it, the battling uh, enemies side. Ah. Created a neat uh, script system that kind of runs the game. Uh, Sort of like almost like a stage play, um, in the way that like you set up your you set up the game you set up the stage that you're in currently, and then timers start running on this second secondary board. And whenever things go off, you um, you place new um, events onto the or you read an event from the book, and that that will adjust the stage that you're on. So as the scene continues to play out, like new monsters may appear, villains may show up to target you. Um, enemies may get stronger. Um, different oh. kinds of events. Allies can come out to help you. Allies might betray you if you take too long in a scene. Um, so all these events are time-triggered events. That's and, so cool. So um, yeah. So the, the game will. The game kind of is directing this play that you're participating in. Oh, uh, okay. So I think that's a very interesting concept because in a lot of board games, it's it's the reverse thing, right? Like. You do things that the game reacts to. So are you? So basically, what you're telling me right now is that the game is doing something, and you're having to react to it a lot of the time. So it's like it it has like a Majora's Mask feel. Then it's like the world constantly keeps moving, and you just have to do things while the world moves around you. Is that how it goes? Yeah, pretty much. That's that's the way it goes. So when you see those those timers start to get low, you're like, oh, well, I really need to to book it. I really need to finish this fight or something bad's going to happen. Oh, that's it so you, cool. It does give you a sense of pressure. Okay, so if, if does something really bad happen if your timer like runs out? Like, well, like... it depends on the stage. You know, uh... If it's an easy stage, it might be that you know, like an ally comes in and helps you if you have too much trouble with the first boss. If it's a hard stage, it might be that you know, an enemy, uh, another enemy spawns or the enemy starts regenerating or you know, like the whole stage catches on fire or you know, any number of things, right? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, okay. Um, is one of them you die? Uh, I don't know that there's going to be just any you die ones, except maybe if we have a stage that floods or something, you know. Or, or like, like a sinking gas boat. or, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, sinking ship. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's, that would be pretty cool. Oh, I'm, But I'm actually those are the kind of stages that the game enables, right? Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. That's such yeah. a cool system. I like that. I'm pretty happy with how it turned out because we, we, we went back and forth a long time over like, well, how do I fight monsters and have these kind of interesting story branches and story decisions going on? Um, how do I kind of explore while at the same time uh, fighting? And so like, even as you, there's not always a monster on the stage fighting with you. Sometimes it's just, you know, um, you're just exploring. And so when you build that stage, you also put down um, little knickknacks into each of the spaces. Like some of them are doors. You might have like bookcases, crystals, um, you know, candelabras, whatever. You can go around and you can actually interact with these things. If even if there's a monster fight going on on the other side of the stage, you can be over on your side exploring, and you can like meet new allies. You can discover clues about the plot. You can, oh. um, you know, like make you can make decisions that'll change the outcome of the stage, um, in other ways than fighting monsters, just by finding the right uh, the right kind of clues as you explore around. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I have a question, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. 
So now that you've integrated this like story puzzle mechanics into the same screen, essentially, as the combat, does this mean now that your characters act very differently? Because now they don't have to be both useful in combat and be super useful in the puzzle parts. Because now that they exist at the same time, you can have different people doing their strengths at different places, even though it's happening on the same screen, right? Like, so I don't know, maybe Zolt can be fighting a skeleton here while Renea reads a book there. That depends a lot on the way that you build your character loadouts. And so in true roguelike fashion, at the start of the game, oh, no. you select uh, two, You select some starting talents for your character. You pick two weapons. And each of the weapons... So I pick my carrot, my hunter, and I pick my two weapons. Each of these weapons that I pick comes with some cards of its own. Though those form uh, part of my deck. Oh, Sakura then, Arm style? Yeah, kind of like that. Um, so I have my character talents, my weapons, and my other weapon. Those all go together. And then there's some excess cards for my character for each of my weapons. Those cards shuffle together and form my pool. So when my character levels up, I'll draw a couple cards from my pool. I'll pick which one I want to integrate into my deck. So you're like you're constantly building up your expertise with either your weapons or with your own character skills. Mm. Um, and so I can I can play if I'm playing solo with a character, I can build uh, skills and uh, and weapons that are more solo sustainable. If I'm building playing with a team, I can bring in things that are more team oriented. So for example, there are cards called enhancements, and whenever somebody attacks with a weapon. Um, so I could bring a weapon that just has a lot of attacks, like Zolt's dual swords. They just like do a lot, do a lot of damage. Every card, almost every card, is an attack, and the weapon has an inherent ability um, where you can just pitch any card from your hand to turn it into an attack. Oh wow, so I have that's consistent, really good. constant attacks. Whereas I bring a character like uh, like Eugenia, her starting spell, uh, Absinthe and Arrow, that has an inherent enhancement on it. And so what I can actually do is when Zolt attacks with his swords. I can cast my enhancement on him and buff his damage, as well as doing it on my own, like some of my, my I have my own spell attacks. I could buff my own spell attacks, but I could also be buffing my allies next to me. So once you start bringing in allies, you want to start thinking about bringing more of an enhanced support type kit. Oh my and gosh. You, you also want to bring some defensive weapons, like Selenka's regalia weapons are all very uh, defensive focused, because those will allow you to survive when the boss is taking two turns to your every one in three and four player games. Oh, okay. So, so are you saying that team comps are a thing in this game and they matter a lot? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's like we got into one. We got into one adventure where we, like, we were playing Galdred and Eugenia, and we just brought all combat weapons. And we actually, um, so the way it works is you play a couple of attacks, and it, you play your attacks and your enhancements, and um, you deal a total amount of damage. And that total man damage gets applied to the boss, and then if it is greater than one of their shields, the shield breaks, and you get that for your character. So if the monster has, like, um, instead of having, like, 50 hit points, the monster might have, like, a 4, 4, 8, 8, 12 as their hit point pool. And so then, if you don't hit the monster for 4 damage, you don't do any damage. Oh. If you hit the monster for 12, and their 12 is already gone, you just get an 8. So you're kind of trying to it's not just about, like, let me just throw as much damage onto this guy that I can. You're strategically working with your teammates to set up combos to do damage to break shields. 
break specific you, shields. It, yeah, you and your team have a target, and any damage beyond that target is wasted. Any damage under that target is useless. So, um, but anyway, we, we were playing Galdrin and Eugenia, and we brought a bunch of combat weapons, and we had a lot of trouble breaking the, the 12 shield on the monster, because we, um, we, uh, we just had a lot of light hits. And we couldn't uh, we couldn't stack up our damage well enough. So um, when you do that, you have to like ladder shields. Um, you can turn in your old shields to get bonus damage, but you always get half the value. So if I had like three fours, or if, say I did four damage, I could turn in an eight for four more damage. I could turn in another eight, but then the boss regenerates those hit points. So it's a very it's a very inefficient way to get to the higher damage, the higher shield levels. Yeah, because by if, turning in your old shields. I see. So for example, like. The boss had a 12 shield. You turn in your 8 shield to destroy the 12 shield, but the 8 shield goes back. Goes back to the boss, yeah. So you can you can basically give the boss back 8 hit points to do 4 extra damage. Um, uh... And that way, by that way, you can actually build up to break the big shields, even if you don't have a the support of a big team, or if your kit doesn't quite work in that way. There's always a an inherent system way to break any shield that comes up. I see. So um, it kind of, what do you call this, avoids the trap of like, this boss fight is literally unwinnable because yeah. I didn't draft yeah, the didn't. right cards. Yeah, we didn't want that. Now, um, another neat thing about the game is that because it's like scene-based, between each one of these stages, um, each one of these little mini-plays, you can bring new characters into the party, you can kick characters out of the party, you can change your weapon loadout and basically rebuild your deck, respect your character. Um, those and you can even save your game, put it away, pull it back out between those sessions. So, um, so the state, the 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 focus on like one stage, which is about an hour and a half to two hours, is a um, is a nice a nice feature of this game. And a complete castle is about between four and five stages long. So it's kind of expected that you do this in like two or three sessions, uh, maybe even five sessions if you're only meeting for a few hours to play the game. But it's and so in the course of that castle, it's legacy style where you're constantly building your decks, getting more abilities. The choices you make are persistent. Once you leave the castle, um, however, once you finish that that one mini campaign, it doesn't uh, it doesn't have persistent effects on the whole world. So if somebody dies in that castle, you can you know bring them back into another castle, or you could even be running two castles simultaneously with different hunters. Uh, it doesn't. The game doesn't lock you in like a lot of legacy games do, to playing the same static party and the same uh, plot line and being stuck with all the decisions that you've made. It's more in the rogue light sense where if I kill some bosses and I beat this castle a certain way, I get new weapon unlocks, and now I can build my character in different ways for future castles. But if I decide I want to play the ice castle first, or I want to play the Wonderland castle first, or I want to play the like mad science castle first those are all available to me i don't have to start at the beginning of the campaign i don't have to um be locked into playing all of these low level battles if i just want to go to the cool the stuff that i think is the coolest right out of the bat so so the unlocks that you get are a difference in kind like they're not necessarily better weapons they're just yeah. different weapons. They're different weapons. They and they start at level one when you start a run, just like any other weapon, and you can unlock their full potential by um, by upgrading them, just like your base weapons. So they're like the they're exactly like the um, the parts that you find in uh, the mobile roguelike we were talking about. 
um, except they don't permanently bind to your class. But you can, you know, you start a run, you can pick your two weapons. Now you have more options to customize. You know, I can fight, I can find um, better guns, I can upgrade, I can equip, um, you know, Renea with these guns. Maybe I find a gun that's really good for Joffrey um, that works well with his kit. You can try out different things, different builds. So the game space kind of unlocks and new strategies, more complex strategies become available as you complete these castles. Oh my gosh, this is scratching my, like, my champion's itch. Like, this is the kind of stuff that made me love Champions of Indians when I played yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's, Seven Cross is really the, kind of what we promised Champions of Indians was going to be. Uh, except Champions of Indians was, was mini versus one, where you had a player control the bosses and it was competitive. Yeah. Um, so this is this is you know GMless, obviously, but it's it's that same feel that we're trying to capture. You know, a bunch of players working together against one um, thing, unified enemy. Uh, yeah. Force. So like, so I'm pretty sure there's gonna be like some bonkers, crazy combos and stupid stuff that you guys can do, right? Like that's the that's that's the hope. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Oh, I'm so hyped, Brad. You've done it. You've made a roguelike board game. Let's go. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, so I'm gonna I'm I'm in the process of putting all this together. We're going to have it on Tabletop Simulator pretty soon. We're gonna start recording playtests, doing balancing work, and that kind of thing, kind of like what we did for Imperial. Oh my gosh! So I'm gonna there'll stream be some this rewards game. for yeah, there'll be some rewards for helping us to playtest that. We should probably do like a series on YouTube wherein like we follow a set of hunters through their adventures through a castle, at least one castle, right? Oh, yeah. that'd be so yeah, yeah. cool. Like, and then we could all be in character and um, <laughs> just kidding. We don't yeah. have to be. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. If, oh, we, uh, if we want to. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we just... certainly play it in character at like our local playtesting. So. It has to be, right? It has to be. That's the point. Oh, the, same, the, same player, the same players always pick the same characters. Like We have one guy who like, jumps in and immediately takes uh, Renea as soon as, as soon as he plays. And so somebody Renea, else is yeah. like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to always be Galdred because that way I can test how the system has changed. Um, uh-huh. as as I, I just play the same character every time and see how he changes. Oh, I like that. So it's, I like that. It's it's nice because then your playtester is like, yeah, this doesn't really feel like like the the feeling I feel I'm supposed to get when I play this character that I've gotten in other versions. And you're like, oh well, I can you know I can see what changed and uh, and why you know because I want each character to have a real theme and a real feeling to them. And so having those playtesters who are you know who are really dedicated to a single character uh, helps to bring that out. I see. Um, just quick clarification, but sir, like you said, that it really depends on how you build your characters. But I'm pretty sure some characters are better at certain things than others, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but every character is every character should be soloable, and every character should be like teamable. Um, and so that's what I wanted to bring out with the, with different builds and with different things. Like for an example, Renee is really good at exploring locations, right? Of course. Um. Because you're actually an investigator, and um, but that doesn't mean that you can't fight. Uh, many of the locations have traps uh, in the location. They'll have weapons that you can find. Um, for example, like in one stage, there's a crate, and if you open up the crate, there's a Gatling gun inside, and you can just fire the stationary Gatling gun. Um, and a character who's really good at using environment stuff, like Renea, can can do a lot more damage with a weapon like that than a character like Zolt, who is good at rushing down and fighting with it hand-to-hand. Uh-huh. Uh, at the same time, like, if you run into doors and stuff, uh, Renee has to go find a key. Zolt can just, like, throw together three strength and bash it in. So different characters interact with the environment 
and with the monsters in different ways. That okay, wow. Wow. Oh my gosh, that sounds so cool. That sounds so cool. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Okay, okay. You don't yeah. It's 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 going to be fun. Um but just wait, you know, watch out for the uh yeah. for the TTS mod. One more thing, one more thing. So you said that like when you finish a, a castle, is there a reason to go back to the castle? Ever? Yeah, so each um, so the castle has multiple areas, and you don't hit all these areas in one run. Um, each boss that you beat, um, and uh, probably, and so taking different paths takes you different bosses, but each boss that you beat unlocks new weapons for you, right? So if you go back and you take the different path, you can unlock new stuff for your characters beyond just that. Also, there are multiple endings to the castles. So depending on the path I take, depending on the choices I make, I might get uh, multiple different results for my for my run. Oh, okay. That's great. Uh, so, Brad, I have a big suggestion, and this is probably <laughs> really horrible and won't fit this entire system, but it has to happen. There has to be some sort of, like, endless mode that's not tied to a story where it's, like, I don't know, procedurally generated yeah, yeah. castle, we've, right? We've talked about, yeah, we've talked about having, like, uh, three different modes. So you have your campaign mode, which is what I just told you about. We would have... Um, the like explorer um, expedition mode, which is kind of what uh, what you're imagining, where a stage is generated and the events for the stage are generated, um, that might have to do some kind of app or something. But I think it is possible with this system. And then at the uh, beyond that, uh, challenge rush. mode. Oh, uh, yeah, Ch- yeah, bo- ch- kind of a, a boss rush where you just um, fight monsters, build up your decks, fight more monsters, so you are really just doing the combat part of the game and you're not having to go to the book or make choices. Um, so that's more of the, like, I guess you'd say competitive uh, or, I don't know, like hardcore Monster Hunter type of gameplay where you're really just fighting these big monsters. Sold! Can I have it now? Uh, we're still working on it. There's still a lot of work to do with the game. Uh, mostly in the actual like writing of the book, of mm. the game book. Um, also we're considering, like, all the hunters have miniatures. We're considering whether the monsters are going to have miniatures, too. Oh, that's going to be, like, some crazy stuff. I've seen one of the bosses. Yeah, that's, like, that's, like, 30 extra miniatures, so it's a lot of, a lot of work. But, uh, we got to price it out and see kind of what, what that entails and whether it's, it's viable. Um, and also how much people really, you know, how much people will want to pay for the game. Because we could put miniatures in everything in it for every every monster in the game, and we can put in all this other crazy stuff. But it might end up being you know a two hundred or three hundred dollar game. So yeah. I don't want to overdo it, but uh, it would be really cool to do a big miniatures game. I'm so, pretty sure you could like sell people on the monsters. Like I've seen some of the designs for these things; they're crazy good. Like um, what's that one? Oh yeah, they're they're gorgeous monsters. Like uh, I, I don't know if you can call them gorgeous, but like. Like, what's the horrific one that's, like, mo- like just a billion monsters in a box? Like, what's it called? Oh, the, the chimera in a box? The chimera in a box. Like, that sounds like a stupid thing, right? But, like, when you see the art, you're like, this is epic. This looks really it's, it's, awesome. It's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty neat monster. I'm yeah. pretty proud of that one. Uh, we have some, some, like, you know, cool traditional monsters and cool takes on traditional monsters, too. Like? Uh, so, you know, for example... Uh, what's going to like we have uh, you know like Kali um, we have you know all of the monsters that appear in 7th Cross uh, Exceed could make an appearance 
So you kind of see the way that we that we've handled those guys. Okay, um, is Minato an enemy? QB wouldn't be to scale. Uh, Minato uh, does show up as an enemy. He um, he might show up as a hunter as well. Please, please, Brad, let me summon cars. That's like that's my yeah. only dream. I want to be the turbo team, and I want there to be like an interaction wherein you're a car and then you try to climb the stairs, but you can't. Like, um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, okay. That that might be. <laughs> Why not? It'd that might a... be a little specific. <laughs> Too specific. Too specific. Too I don't specific, even think you have yeah. stairs in your game. Yeah, you just kind of jump to the second level. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, all right. So that pretty much does it for the pipeline. I hope we've sufficiently hyped you enough for Seventh Cross. If you like them and exceed, you like them in their own game. It's really interesting that we see them outside their own game before we see them in their own game. Like it is, it is. Um, but I think that'll be. I think it'll be good for the for the game. I think it'll also be good for Exceed because uh, when people see how cool the Summon Cross Adventure game is, they'll want to check out the Exceed game too. Yeah, that's true. So it'll go both ways, and it'll... people who are excited for Exceed will, you know, will already know what to expect when they jump into the the world. Yeah, and when they find out they can play as their favorite character in this like RPG whatever game, it's gonna be fun, right? So yeah. Yeah, but yeah, these the minis are really cool. I've actually got like all the prints sitting on my desk, three uh, D prints of all the miniatures. So I just got to assemble these guys and paint them. Oh my gosh! See Please they, send pics. I've seen the Lucia one. It's pretty cool. So oh, it is Lucia. They couldn't print because the chain was a little too tough. Oh, sad. So a, yeah, a, a real like model printer would be able to do it, but they couldn't print it on demand. Oh. It was just too too. The yeah, having that chain wrap around was just too much. I see. I see. Oh yeah, she does fight with like sickle chains. I I don't know what her yeah, weapon is. A chain. It's a, it's got it's a chain sickle. It's a like a kind of like a a comma with uh, or two commas with chains attached. Ah, so it's um, kind of like mega nunchucks with swords on them. Yeah, yeah, they're like sword chucks. So okay, we're done with this segment. Welcome to my next segment, also known as Ninety Nine Questions, also known as Marco asks the questions that you so desperately want answered. So welcome to the Ninety Nine Questions of Level Ninety Nine Games on the Wall, where we take your answers, feed them to the stage play, and hopefully they burst out as monstrous, monstrous answers that satiate your desires. Brad, are you ready to answer some of my questions that come from our fans? Yeah, anything to get out of these intros. All right. Please. First one. What was your favorite game at E3? Or at least favorite game announced at E3? Um, you know, this is... this. I, I know how people feel about um, Smash fans, but I, I am a Smash fan. Uh, not like a rabid Smash fan, but like... I play Melee Smash. or I nothing. Make sure, I make sure I play oh. all of the... I make sure I play all the new Smash releases. I'm really excited for um, Smash Brothers Ultimate, so um, that was my top announcement or for E3. Really? Um, I'm probably gonna play the uh, the new God of War game. I saw some some videos of that, and it looks really good. I see. Um, oh yeah. Who are you excited to play in the new Smash Brothers Ultimate? Well, it's it's really kind of who are you excited to? Who were you excited to play in the past? Right. I guess that's uh, true. Are you just going to play Kirby again? Kirby's always been my favorite. Okay. Yeah, Kirby's always been my favorite. Uh, so now he has even more hats. I'll probably play Kirby again. Oh, uh, right. He but does I, have more hats now. Yeah, it's it's nice to have Olimar back. Um, it's nice to have... Uh, who's my other old main? Um, Mewtwo. It's nice to have Mewtwo back. Yeah, and I saw like he has a new animation for some of his attacks. Like He summons a spiral galaxy above him. It's all pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be really neat. I'm 
most most interested in what their new mode is because every game they try and release a new play mode. Um, the Smash Tour was a huge bust. Smash Run was like the best thing ever, but didn't make it to consoles. I really want a multiplayer like local Smash Run or mm. a Smash Tour that actually works and is more like if if Smash Tour was more like Mario Party, but you also happen to fight, I think it'd be really good. Unfortunately, it was just a bunch of fights with weird random conditions that you couldn't track. Um, yeah, it feels so, like those um, Mortal Kombat towers that make no sense. Yeah, see, what I really want is like a Smash Tour where you end up with wacky games like Smash Basketball and, you know, like Hot Potato or, you know, like Don't Let This Thing Touch the Ground, that kind of stuff. Oh, they're like curated alternate Yeah, they're like, like actual game like mini games or like everybody uh, has with curry real, with special rules like everyone's permanently uh, no curry. that's what you don't want you don't want the games where like everybody's got curry equipped because like <laughs> that's what that's what smash tour did and those were just not very fun because you couldn't even tell what was going on yeah that's fair it was just a, a fight with a lot of chaos what you really want is a fight with different rules or a fight with a different win condition that's when it gets interesting okay okay i i actually just want them to make like subspace emissary too but hey like, story modes, story modes are okay. I, I Smash Brothers, like of all, I'd say fighting game stories are always lame, but Smash Brothers is really lame. Because how yeah. are they, How else could they do it? Like you, it's it's like the Avengers. Everybody's got to make their appearance and do their cool thing, whether they deserve it or not. And then you know, you just end up with like two characters you care about, and then fifty five others that have to make their token appearance. Yes. So <laughs> I I'm not I'm not too thrilled for Subspace Emissary too. All right, all right, okay, that's fair. That's, that's just fair. that's just me. That's just me. That's Some fair. People love it. Yeah, I mean, like, I I don't know. I mean, I wasn't one for Avengers, but I loved Subspace Emissary. Um, but yeah, I mean, okay, like, there you go. Yeah. Hey, it's okay. You know, to each their own. To each their own. Um, my favorite E3 announcement was uh the new Activision. Uh, sorry, Insomniac Spider Man game. Oh my gosh. I'm not a huge Spider-Man fan. Um, I actually uh, didn't see this announcement because I wasn't, wasn't paying attention. Those. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, um. Have you? I don't know because it's like maybe it, like it's nostalgia on my part. Um. Because I was in that generation that grew up with PlayStation One and Two, so it's like I was I had the PlayStation One when I was like what ten or something, but when I was a teen. I had the PlayStation 2 and they came out with like, I grew up in a generation where it's like, you know, every movie time game is garbage, right? Yeah, I think everybody grew up in that generation because it's always been true. I mean, yes, but... For reasons I've previously expounded upon in this very podcast. Yes, except for Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. That was actually a good game and it was mainly in part of like, basically like, okay, I think this is my biggest frame of reference. If you think Ark, the Arkham games were, like, good, Spider-Man 2 was, like, the granddaddy of Arkham games. Because, like, the Arkham style oh, of combat okay. and, like, the open world feeling. So, like, imagine if you could, like, if it was, like, Arkham, but instead of, like, being Batman grappling hooking onto, like, specific spots and stuff, you were Spider-Man and you could web-sling literally everywhere. But oh, okay. contextually, right? So, like, if you were in the middle of a lake and you tried to web swing, it wouldn't let you because it wouldn't latch on to any buildings. And that was mind-blowing mm-hmm. when I was, like, a kid. Because it's, like, usually they just, like, let you web swing everywhere and make you think, like, oh, there's a building somewhere. But, like, in the game, they actually did, uh, like, a 
a software or part of the code that makes Spider-Man actually like latch onto buildings and do physics and stuff that move him around the map. And that was like the coolest thing ever. Web swinging through New York was like the best. And the Insomniac guys basically took that and like ran away with it. The parkour and like the web swinging and the new Spider-Man game are so good looking. And it's like they do some really cool stuff. Like now it's not just web swinging off buildings. You can web swing, do a flip and then land on like a a street light and then use that and kick off that to change direction while you're web swinging. It's like crazy stuff huh. like that makes me like super hyped for these games. And like, yeah, it has the same Arkham style of combat, but I think the character that you're playing as makes the Arkham style of combat even better. Cause in Batman's Arkham style of combat, which again was basically just based on the Spider-Man two style of combat. Um, you would basically like bounce between enemies, right? But it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do that as Batman. It doesn't feel like that's the way Batman would fight, right? It just kind of feels that it has to be that way because he's the in Arkham, a video. I think the Arkham Batman is a pretty pretty good, like... I mean, it's a pretty good mini versus one simulator. Yeah, it is a very good I would say mini versus one simulator. But I am, I guess my, my point is that when I think of Batman as a character, I don't think he wants to fight like that. Like, that's not the way he would usually want to fight, right? Like, he'd usually want yeah, to... Yeah, he'd probably want to use more environment-type effects. Than, and pick people just... one one off at a time, right? Yeah, one right? by one. I think the Predator mode is probably the real Batman combat. Exactly, and... exactly, right? The yeah. Predator mode is exactly what Batman would play like. But Spider-Man fights like that. Like, Spider-Man's entire fighting uh -huh. style is about bouncing between multiple guys and then doing quick takedowns using web swing, web cartridges, right? Because Batman yeah. in the Batman games would just like, you know, drop kick a guy and then the guy would like get past that. But the way Spider-Man does it is like he can like knock a guy into the air and then like tie him onto a nearby post and then that's it. Like he doesn't have to knock the guy out. He just ties the guy to a post or like he... Yeah. So they really, the yeah, the takedowns make a little more sense in that. In yeah, that and the context. fact that you're flipping over people multiple times and bouncing in between them makes more sense if you're a very acrobatic character like Spider-Man. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. I don't mind uh, playing some Spider-Man when that time comes. Yeah, do you I'm, have a PS4, Marco? Oh, yes, I do. Why do you think I'm, I mean, I've played Persona 5. We should, uh, we should, we should play that. We should play God of War, the new one. Oh, we should also For play the God of War. The week. New, oh, yeah. Um, Dad, I know. Uh, what do they call it? Dad, Dad of War. Dad. Dad of War, yeah. <laughs> or Boy of War, whatever you want to call it. Uh, War of War of Boy. But yeah, Dad of Boy, actually. It's that, that's Dad the... of Boy. Now, now the, <laughs> the entire premise has changed. <laughs> but no, it's just no, no more gods, no more war. It's just a dad yeah. and his boy. I mean, it is that's the game, right? It is a dad and his boy. I guess so. But they're also, he's also the God of War. I mean, okay, yeah, fine. You can't separate that. Like, like you take away, you take away the God of War part, and it's just a Lifetime movie. Okay, that's true. Dad and his boy coming soon to Lifetime. <laughs> okay, that's God, it. or God of War, the Lifetime movie. That, I'd watch that. Oh my gosh! All right, all right. So that pretty much does it for Kinda that seems first like question. Like Aquatine Hunger Force. Oh no! Please, let's not talk about that. You know, where they're like, like, like you know that there's like this badass God of War off in the background, but it's not about that. It's about the time he spends with his son. Yeah. <laughs> You never, you never see the actual God of War part. You just see the like their home life. I like that. I like that. It's kind of like um Space Ghost too. Like he's like yeah. oh, daily show, yeah. but also superhero. Anyway, anyway, next question: Will there be a chance to pick up other expansions in the um place in manager? I think this this is related to um this is related to Battlecon on uh, Imperial Imperial spell. Oh really? Okay, Imperial. I think. Too. I think. Well, I, I can only answer for both. Um. 
with Imperial, obviously you can get all the Imperial stuff. With Battlecon, um, I don't know yet. We can probably do that for other countries, um, since we could we could ship a lot like stuff over to those fulfillment centers at the same time. Um, we'll see. We'll see what it makes sense to offer and what the demand is for those expansions in other territories. I see. So. Okay, but the, I'm pretty oh, sure there, there should be like um like a pledge level for literally everything that's Battlecon related. Oh yeah, right? sure, sure. The real question is, can you get that tier in like China, or can you get that tier in Canada or Australia? That's that's where it gets a little iffier. Obviously, in the USA, we'll we'll offer that tier because everything's already in the USA and we could just ship it to you. Yeah, but I think things that you know when you're overseas. Yeah, I think specifically Gutok asked this question, and I'm pretty sure he's in China, so. That okay. might be the question, yeah. Well, you should just wait on the Chinese edition of Battlecon, which is coming out. I'm. Just, I think we we have we actually have a good number of fans in China. I'm yeah. By that. Yeah, we do. Um, but oh yeah, so we added um, the language options to Battlecon Online, Woot and woot. so we'll be able you'll be able to play with the cards in your native language. Chinese is one of the languages that we languages that we plan to add. Hey, Filipino um, too. <laughs> yeah, Marco, let's add Filipino to Battlecon Online. All so. right, time to brush up on my Filipino because I'm barely fluent. <laughs> Seriously? Nah. You, I mean, in like, your local if, language? If you, if you, uh, I'm what you would call native fluent, like kind of like how many Americans can't spell a lot of English words because they know uh -huh. how to use them, like in conversation in real life. But if you had to tell, if, like, if you, like, you know, that's the reason why it's called big green dragons and not green big dragons, right? Like big, like green big dragon sounds wrong, but big green dragon sounds correct. Yeah. Because that's actually a grammatical semantic thing about English that apparently every native English speaker knows but can never explain or write down. There's a list that's of true. adjectives, huh. right? So like, like... I could probably do Filipino stuff, but like if you asked me to be like, okay, so explain the grammatical rule that makes it so that that phrase is done that way. I'm like, yeah, so. Uh, you turn into a merlock. I yeah. See. Exactly. That's that my is, response. Uh, that would be dangerous. I don't, I don't know if I want to put you in that occupational hazard. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty dangerous, man. I, I, I basically turn into a monster. Um, last question. Have you considered an exceed season of fighters from them's fighting herds? Um, it has been considered. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that uh, that one of our staff members reached out to them. Uh, so, but uh, we didn't get any 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 uh, hit back on that. So I don't think it's going to happen. And I think a series is a little too niche anyway uh, for for um, what we want to do with Exceed. You know, when you license, you have to think about basically you're putting your entire marketing budget into the license, and so. Um, if we licensed a game like Them's Fighting Hearts, we would pay effectively the same amount as if we licensed a game like Street Fighter. So the the cost of license doesn't change much. It's usually just ten percent. And so the question was always, well, who's ten? Who do you want to pay ten percent to to get the maximum output? Do you want to pay it to like Capcom or SNK or to you know Them's Fighting Hearts? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's not like a a license that doesn't have a sufficient reach is not really worth uh, pursuing unless you get an incredibly good deal. Yeah. It. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. But in either way, they didn't write us back, so that deal's not even on the table. Oh, main six. Why didn't you s reply? Sad, sad. You know, it's it's fine. You can just make your fan series now. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. People make their fan series. You can just yeah, make an exceed season. Put it on board game gate. 
or put in some custom cars in our Discord chat, right? Like, yeah. Either way, yeah. we will we will get to that. So that pretty much does it for 99 questions. If you guys have any questions that you want me or Brad to answer, please put it in the comment section down below, and we will get them get to them as soon as possible, or put it in our Google form so that it will guaranteed be answered. Uh, unless it's a dumb question, like you know, what's Marco's left pinky toe's name? It's Ju- Julius, by the way. Um, there are no there are no dumb questions. There are only questions directed at Marco. Oh, ouch. Was that a burn? Oh my gosh. Well, after that question you asked, I, I you know, I didn't know what else to say. Okay, that's true. All right. So like after your sample question, you're just, just confirming my uh But my I that was an example bias. of a dumb question. Okay, whatever, bro. Yeah, exactly. Uh, chicken or egg There you situation. go. That's oh what I said. my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. All right. Welcome you're to just our shooting last... yourself in the in the, the big toe, Mark. And, oh my okay, you know what? Let's move on to the last segment. Welcome to Otherwise. The reason yeah. why I say otherwise at the start of every show. So nobody suggested us a new game, so that means we're gonna do the game that Brad suggested, and I thought of a really cute name for it. Okay. So go ahead. Welcome What's to game? our game called Make It a Roguelike, Baby. You know, kind of like Henshin a Gogo Baby from. Did I really suggest this? This sounds like a, suspiciously like a Marco game. So no, you re- literally suggested this in the previous episode where you were like, where I was like, you know, don't tell us to do Dark Soulsified, and you were like, haha, yeah, we should totally do just like Roguelikeified instead. So I'm like, hello, welcome. Oh, no. You have brought okay. this upon yourself. All right. So what are the rules? Welcome to Make It a Roguelike, baby, where Brad and I suggest to each other a concept, literally anything, and we try to turn it into a roguelike game, video, or board, or otherwise. Brad, uh, for this Make It a Roguelike, baby, I want you to turn the concept of, oh, this is going to be fun, cooking into a roguelike. Go. Oh, okay. Cooking. Um, cool. Well, that's, that shouldn't be too hard. All right. So um, you are uh, a, a young apprentice chef, uh, and you've been required to, uh, to cook the ultimate dish for uh to to stop monsters from invading uh the monsters can only be sated by the ultimate dish uh-huh. which you have to cook so you venture down into this dungeon um uh, however uh this dungeon with um with uh ingredient themed enemies so all the ingredients are all the enemies are like live potatoes and vegetables and uh you know and stuff and you 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 uh, attack them with your knife cut them up you acquire ingredients um, you can also find ingredients in treasure chests and around the ground, everywhere, really. You find more and more ingredients. Um, every floor or two, uh, you'll encounter a kitchen. And in the kitchen, you can take your ingredients, you can put them together to cook dishes. These dishes give you buffs. They give the um, they can debuff the enemies um, and such. Occasionally, uh, you'll also find a, uh, a Williams and Sonoma in the middle of the, uh, of the dungeon, and uh, as, as often you do. And you'll be able to upgrade your knives there, and um, also uh, you can sell your best dishes to the uh, the cooking network. The cooking um, your best recipes to the cooking network and oh. to Food TV, and they'll give you money, and you can use that money to upgrade your. Can your I suggest something? Can the NPC who represents the cooking network be named Fi Gary? Yes, yes, he's Fi Gary, um, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And anyway, and so if you are able to um, to get to the bottom of the, 
Actually, yeah, and every every few um every every few uh what's it? Um every few floors, um, you know, uh Warden Gamsey shows up and uh and challenges you to a cooking duel and if your ingredients and your cooking techniques are not good enough, you you die. You get destroyed. Yeah, that's your boss battle. <laughs> you die. Um, was, was his name Warden Ramsey? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, Warden Ramsey, yeah, shows up and uh, and, and challenges you to a cooking He's battle. He's like a Final Fantasy Twelve judge. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, um, so you do all that. Um, you find, you reach the, uh, the bottom of the dungeon. You do the ultimate final cooking challenge. Um, and... Uh, you probably get expelled from the dungeon multiple times along the way, of course, because it is roguelike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but each time you go, each time you start over, your recipes persist. So you have more and more like cooking repertoire. Ah. Uh, and yeah, and that's the that's the game. Oh my gosh, that sounds great! It actually sounds a lot like Battle of Chef Brigade, so I'm pretty interested about. Oh, does that. it? Battle Chef Brigade? Is that a the show or a? Game oh, I'm sorry, or? but did you not know that there is a cooking shonen anime video game? Wherein you play a bunch of I think people. I have I think I have heard of this actually. Now yeah. that you mention it. It's like a cooking show and then you go out into a dungeon, you kill things for their ingredients, you bring it back to the cooking show, and then you do like a shonen anime cooking battle. Hmm. Oh, okay, that's cool. All yeah, right. so I guess it I guess it'd be a little bit like that, yeah. Yeah, Battle uh, Shepherd. Okay. So Brad, how about oh, me? Cool. Tell me okay, turn something Marco. into a roguelike. Alright. Marco, I want you to make a roguelike about art theft. Art theft? Yep. Okay, so there's there's two there's one way there are two ways to go about this, right? The easy way and the hard way. I'll pick the hard way because the easy way is you just make a stealing like stealing stealth roguelike game where you steal art from like fancy vaults or museums. Boring. Here's the, my idea. <laughs> it's a roguelike game wherein you're a college student, all right, and you're trying to make it through college. Uh, art school specifically without getting caught for stealing other people's work from the internet so this espouses really bad values don't steal art from people on the internet listeners but this is the game so you are this disgruntled art student and a lot of this is really about the teachers really about understanding the teacher's requirements and understanding the teacher's um you know the teacher's mannerisms so this is really a game about observing what the teacher's class is all about. Uh, for example, it's like, I don't know, pointillism or whatever. Whatever art concept there is. Understanding the teacher's habits and what they do when they check your work. So like, you, I don't know, Mrs. Cunningham has like a tag that says like meticulous. So she like actually checks it very well. But there's like other teachers that are like lazy so they just like gloss over it and then go like oh whatever this is is a 9.5 out of 10 right and based on those few factors you try to look for art online so i think there's like some sort of like outside element to it where the internet is the dungeon yes the internet is the dungeon wherein you just like real life i guess (laughs) i guess you waste hours in it and you can potentially die so i guess it makes sense um you search through the internet for an appropriate picture that would fit um, and hopefully pass. I think the innovation here is that you actually have to take pictures from the actual internet. And there's like some software in the game or something that analyzes like, whether or not that Like would pass. the game downloads random pictures from the internet and then you, you can like pick them up off the walls as you go through the internet. Or, that sounds dangerous. No, 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 no. Even Even weirder is that 
the game will ask you for a picture link that you basically alt tab onto a browser so that you can go onto the internet and literally just look for pictures on the internet that way. Okay. Okay, but how's this roguelike? If it's just if it's just a game where you go browse the internet and then upload pictures. So when you uh, so no just wait. So when you fail, of course you have to retake the entire class. Maybe the requirements change, right? Maybe the teacher changes their habits and Perhaps if you get caught enough times, the teacher will start learning the specific kinds of pictures that you try to give them during their classes, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. And they, like, see that it's of a specific style or if it's from a specific website or something like that, all right? And they, the teachers get smarter as you continuously fail. Uh, but over time, as you, like, pass through teachers, you start learning um, certain I think the, the roguelike aspect here is not necessarily abstracted into the game. Perhaps there are special powers that allow you to like distract teachers while they're checking your work. But the, the cool thing here, I guess, is that you start learning to basically cheat the game itself by searching for specific pictures. Heck, maybe even finding specific pictures or creating specific pictures that are meant to um, fool the AI into thinking it's correct. I think the ultimate subversion of this would be literally just making your own real artwork. Being, being an artist. <laughs> I see. It's uh, it's that's a, it's a pretty unique concept to use computer vision as your um, or not computer vision, but um, you know, like like image recognition as your resolution system for a battle. Yeah. Um, that is that is kind of off the wall. Um, I like it. Oh, crazy! So, listeners, tell us which would be the roguelike you want to play. Brad's roguelike chef game, where you meet interesting characters such as Figieri and Warden Ramsey. I'm 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 partial to that. Or Marcus cheating simulator that uses image recognition as a resolution mechanic. So, um, pick, tell you tell us in the comment section which one you prefer, which one you like, and if you guys have any more games you want to recommend us, please tell us in the comment section down below. I would love to keep on going and love to keep pitching ideas, but Brad, sadly, we are over time and we have to end this podcast. All right. Well, it's been a lot of fun, Marco. I oh, hope that uh, everyone at home has had a great time chiming in with us and uh, leave us your comments. We want to hear what you think about, uh, about all the stuff we discussed. So anyway, uh, thank you, everyone, and I uh, wish you a great day. I wish you a great day. As usual, this is me, me, your host, Marco DeSantos, also known as Mechanic Critic, also known as Figieri. And with me has been my wonderful co-host, Level 99 Games president himself, and also known as Warden Ramsey. Brad Talton. And we wish all of you a happy, happy night. So, without much else to say, thanks for listening, and don't forget your special action. Thank you, World of Indians. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>